Turn your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. I've been doing a series I started several weeks ago called Before and After. The text is from 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. I mean, no, Christianity has a before and an after. You're not born a Christian. You're born again as a Christian. Your parents could be Christian, but that doesn't make you a Christian. How many know we receive Christ as our Savior? Well, the whole Christian life that we're looking at, particularly in this series, is we're looking at not only just our salvation before and after, but how God relates to us. Simon Peter, you may remember on Easter morning, Resurrection Sunday, Peter had miserably denied Christ. He told, basically, I'll never deny you three times. He does it. And after the resurrection, Jesus tells, or, or an angel, rather, tells Mary at the tomb, I want you to go tell Peter that I need to see him again. And the message that morning was, is that God cares more about our future than our past. I mean, our failures don't disqualify us. God doesn't throw us away. A before and an after. Last week, we talked about an unusual woman. Her name is Rahab, but the Bible refers to her as Rahab the prostitute. So how in the world could this woman, who was a prostitute, end up in the New Testament, two different chapters, and in God's hall of fame? Hebrews 11, the people of faith. Well, last week we learned it was because of this. is because she walked away from her old life. So how many know the before life we live, God can forgive it and give us a fresh start as we go on towards our new. Now, this morning, my message is about facing a crisis. Now, this word crisis simply means a turning point for better or worse. A crisis is something that happens in our life. Brother Kyle will share with you a crisis of when he was persecuted for his faith. A crisis could be a job loss. It could be a diagnosis from the doctor. How many know a crisis is something that affects us in this world? It is a turning point for better or worse. It is the crucial, crucial time for decisive change. And what I want to communicate to you this morning from God's Word is simply this. A crisis can either push you away from God or make you depend on Him more. A crisis has the potential to destroy your faith or a crisis have the, has the potential to make you go deeper in God. And if you go deeper in God, friend, you will find a whole new level of this Christian experience. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to share one last little testimony with you from one of our church members. He was here in the first service. His name's Joe Taylor. About eight or nine months ago, probably a year now, Joe Taylor was, worked in the woods. He was a logger, and he was working on a piece of equipment, and he passed out. And they rushed him to the hospital, and they found out it was a brain aneurysm. And uh, I mean, no, that's pretty much the sentence of death. But he's going to share with you in a brief testimony how what God did, not just through the physicians that we're grateful for, but what God did in his heart as he learned to depend on him in a deeper way. Take a peek at this, and then we'll be at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. This is the Taylor family, and they're going to tell us a little bit about a crisis they went through the last few months. Lynn, introduce your family. Hi, I'm Leah Taylor, and this is my mom and dad, Linda and Joe Taylor, and we've been a member here for the past six years. Linda, something happened about eight or nine months ago that changed your family forever. Tell us what happened. Well, it was a Saturday after lunch. I received a call that my husband was in Quitman, Texas, and that they found him unconscious, and they had transported him to Quitman Hospital, where he was uh, fighting for his life. What happened? What was wrong he, with him? Uh, he had a a brain aneurysm, and they weren't able to handle it there, so they, they transported him to East Texas Medical Center, they airlifted him to East Texas Medical Center in Tyler, Texas. 
Now, he was in the hospital for how long with this brain aneurysm? Over 70 days. 70 days. Yes, sir. And what was that like for your family? It was unimaginable. It was horrible. I mean, it was, uh, it was one of those times in your life to where, you know, you just, you hit your knees and you start praying and you ask the Lord to please, you know, let him live. I just, you know, and, you know, of course I contacted you and, you know, with all the prayers from, you know, everyone at church and the Lord, you know, he, we were able to endure it, but it was, it was definitely not an easy time. Joe, what was your relationship with God like before this crisis? I had a good relationship with the Lord, but I've always used work as an excuse for myself. I've done stuff for myself more than doing for the Lord. God was more on the edge of my life, not in the center of my life. But how's it different day to day since this crisis? I walk with the Lord, I talk about the Lord, share the Lord with other people. I try to bring people to the Lord through my testimony and tell them how I survived what I went through. Well, let me ask you this. Is there anything that you'd like to tell people that might help them if they face a crisis in life? Trust and believe in the Lord. He'll get you through anything you think you can't get through. He can get you through it. How about you, Leanne? What would you say to a family in a crisis? This was your dad. Just... Like like my mom said, just hit your knees and pray because only God can get you through things. Linda, anything you want to add? The only way you can get through anything like this is through with the Lord's help. I mean, we went through a very difficult time, but we've grown stronger as a family, and we've definitely grown closer to the Lord. Well... <laughs> Before the crisis, God was on the edge of his life. After the crisis, he said, I depend on him every day. Now, how many know a crisis is not a good thing, but something good can come out of a bad thing? And if an experience makes you depend on God at a deeper level, how many know that's a good thing? Look at it in Paul's life, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We think you ought to know about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. Asia being modern Turkey was that area. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Now, this is one of the godliest men in the Bible. This is the man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This is not a novice. This is the one who started the Christianity in the whole Gentile or non-Jewish world. How many know this man has something to say? And he said, I was crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Listen to this. We thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Now, I don't know if you've ever been through an experience like this, but Paul said, desperate circumstances, and here's the deal, I couldn't do anything about it. I was helpless. The pressure was overwhelming, and he said he lost all hope of survival, no way out at the end of his rope. Now, I don't know if you've ever been at that place in your life, but it happens sometimes. It happens, and his, as he said, he got up to work that morning, everything was normal, you know, coffee, donut, fruit, whatever you have for breakfast, and before you know it, you find yourself in the hospital and you're not cognizant of what's going on. It's just a miracle you're being kept alive. Crises happen in life. And the interesting thing, Paul doesn't tell us why. He doesn't tell us, or not rather why, he doesn't tell us what the crisis was. 
He didn't tell us if it was some financial thing. He didn't tell us if it was persecution. He didn't tell us if it was a storm at sea. Uh, we don't know what it was, and perhaps God intentionally left it vague in the Scripture so we could all identify with a man who felt helpless because of what he was going through. Because, my friends, you and I can go through something like this as well in our life. Uh, our, finance, our crisis could be our health. Our crisis could be financial. You could lose your job. You could file, have to file bankruptcy. You, your spouse might die. You, your parent might die. A child, God forbid, might die. It could be some life-altering event. And what we typically do is we want to know the reason for the crisis. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is God allowing it? Blah, 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 blah. My friends, it's not why the crisis is there that's as important as your response to it. But if you've just got to have an answer, let me give you one. If you just took to the first couple chapters of the Bible in a place on a garden called the Garden of Eden, it's the most wonderful place there's ever been. There was not even a mosquito that buzzed around Adam and Eve's head. I mean, they went barefoot and they didn't have to have shoes because there was no stickers, there was no rocks, there was no thorns, there was no problems. There was no death in their world. They didn't have to, they didn't have to be a concealed weapon carrier because they were scared someone was going to hurt them. They'd never been to a funeral. Nothing had gone wrong. But when Adam and Eve sinned against God, when they violated God's commandments, the whole world began to turn upside down. Their one of their kids killed each other. And since that day, it's been pretty tough. And in my Bible, it's got about, oh, I don't know, it's got about 1,800 pages. If you flipped all the way to the end of the book, Revelation chapter 21, the Bible tells us it's going to be like that again one day. There's going to be a real place called heaven where there's no more dying, no more crying, no more pain, come on, no more heartache, no more sadness, because the former things will have been passed away. But in this in-between time, crisis befalls the human race. And if you have to put the fingers or blame someone, I wouldn't put it on God. Come on, I would put it on the devil who's behind it, the one who brought sin, the one who came to steal, kill, and destroy. But still, in the crisis, no matter why it's there, whether it's the government's fault, whether it's your fault, whether it's nobody's fault, who knows what it is, my question to you is, how am I going to respond when the crisis comes? Because the crisis, that defining moment, will determine what happens next. Now, this is what Paul's insight was, verse 9. Mind you, he's told us it was so bad I thought I would die, and here's what he says. As a result, we stop relying on ourselves, and we learn to rely only on God who raises the dead. Now, I want you to let that sink in. As a result of this crisis, uh, the NIV says, this happened so that we wouldn't rely on ourselves. Uh, another translation says, this was meant to teach us not to rely on ourselves, but to depend on God. And here's my message to you this morning. Whether you're in a crisis today or whether one jumps on you in the days that are ahead, don't just see it as something that you run away from, but see it as an opportunity to draw closer to God and have me know that's a good thing. You know, if I was down the, going down the interstate toward Dallas and I saw a tornado, a big black cloud and a tornado coming, guess what I would do? I'd either get out of the exit or I'd make myself an exit on that interstate. You know what I'm talking about? I'd make myself an exit and I'd run as far away from that thing as I can. And that's what we typically do for a crisis. One of the few good things I got out of my secular psychology classes was this. People instinctually, instinctively pursue pleasure and avoid pain. And oftentimes, that's exactly what we do. Nobody likes the crisis. If you do, something's wrong with you, okay? I hope you never have one. But knowing that we go through life, you probably will have one. It may not be like Brother Kaya's persecution. It could be you could be a college student and you're on your own and you don't have money to pay for your class. Amen. That's a crisis. 
You know, you may be, you may be, you can make, be making dinner one night and your husband comes home and he suddenly tells you something. What? I don't love you anymore. But these things come in life, but there's a door to draw deeper in God. And that's what Paul the Apostle said. He said, he said, is that this crisis leads us to depend on God rather than depending on ourselves. He goes on in verse 10. And let me say this again. We don't like to feel helpless. I like to feel healthy. I got knee surgery this past year because it was a, whatever it was, it was a, it was a torn meniscus. And he said, it's just a snip, snip. Well, it may be a snip, snip for him, but for me, come on, it was, you know, I, 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 I could be going down here. I need God to help me. <laughs> Nobody likes to feel helpless. Nobody likes to let go of their wife's hand and says, honey, they're not going to let me go in because we want to be in control. Come on. I don't mean a control freak, but, but we want to be able to have our health. We want to have enough money or credit where we can do what we want to do. But in those times when we become helpless, you step on that airplane, buddy, unless you're the, the pilot, you are helpless. Your life is in somebody else's hand, and that seatbelt won't save you. I don't care how tight you draw it around your waist. See, but when you feel helpless, this is an opportunity for you to go deeper in God. And that's what he's saying, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, God did rescue us from mortal danger, and notice what he says, he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. Now, here's a guy who went from, I'm about to die, to I have confidence that God's going to take care of me in the future. And here's the lesson. The crisis became an incubator for faith. For the crisis he would face tomorrow, he'd have the faith to stand it. It's like what he went through helped him prepare him for tomorrow because he found God faithful. Verse 11, you're helping us by praying for us. And then many people are going to give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. And here's what he's saying. Intercessory prayer, which means I'm not just praying for me, but I'm praying for you. I'm praying for somebody else. Paul said it makes a difference. It's a partnership, come on, with the hand of God and the prayers of God's people to get us through the crisis we go through. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord this morning. But a crisis will either destroy you or it will cause you to depend on God in a greater measure. And the crisis may be a bad thing, but the result can be a good thing. Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good for those that love the Lord called according to His purpose. It doesn't say all things are good. We live in a fallen world and the enemy, the devil, steal, kill, and destroy. But in the midst of that, God says, I can turn it around for good. Praise the Lord. Acts 17, let me give you a couple of spiritual lessons and then Brother Kaya will share his testimony and, and give me about an extra five, ten minutes this morning in, in our time together. Acts 17, 28, here's the first lesson. A crisis can teach us that we can't live without God. And that's a good thing. Now listen to the passage, Acts 17, 28. Paul talking to the philosophers at Athens. And he says this very, this, this phrase, it's simple, but yet it is pregnant with meaning. He says, in him or in Christ, we live and move and have our being. Now, this is a comprehensive phrase about all of life is due to Christ. I live, I move, I have my being. How about if we said it this way? God is my creator. God is my sustainer. He provides for me. God is my protector. He provides for me. Without him, I'm nothing. 
in Him I live and move and have my being. And I'd suggest to you, friend, that learning this is the most important lesson in life. Because you may not be aware of this, but you are heading every day on this earth, you're one day closer to the last day of your life on earth. But we live like it'll never happen to us. Everything we do, everything we are, everything we have is because of Christ. My past is because of Christ. My present's because of Christ. My future's because of Christ. And you may be looking at me and say, Oh, preacher, come on. I get up and I go to work every day. Listen, I, I'm, a, I'm a mechanic at Red River and I work and I work hard, preacher. I got money in my pocket to prove it. I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to go down there and I'm going to turn that wrench and I'm going to fix that deal and I'm going to do all these different things. I'm going to crank it up. I'm going to turn it on. How do you know that? Joe Taylor was going to the logwoods and he was laying up under that skitter and he woke up in the hospital. We live under the illusion. We have all this ability, but what would you do if you lost the dexterity in your hands and you couldn't turn the wrench anymore? What would you happen to you if you had a touch of arthritis? You say, it'll never happen to me. It's not in my family history and I eat organic food. Okay, well, praise the Lord. What happened if you couldn't see the nut to turn it? What happened if your eyesight was affected? What happened if you began to forget things and you couldn't follow the map and get to the place you wanted to be? You say, well, that happens to other people. It's not going to happen to me. It might happen to you because you are frail human flesh. And the sooner we realize that everything I have, come on, everything I am and everything I'll ever do is because of Jesus. You say, oh, well, I've got, I've got money, man. Let me see some money. Let me see somebody's bill. You don't have any. Let me see somebody's got a little bit. All these people in this front row, I'm just teasing. All you got is paper in your pocket that's being worth every day, worth less every day our government makes a decision. Do you realize they spend every day 41 cents more than they have, and 41 cents is off some printing press, some digit in a computer, come on or borrowed from somewhere. At some point, that's all got to stop and your money's worthless. What could you buy with a Confederate dollar today or a Confederate hundred dollar bill? Nothing except at the pawn shop or antique dealer. It's not worth anything anymore. You say, I've got gold, and it's hidden in my yard. My next question is, do you remember where you hid it? Because one day you may forget. We live in this grand delusion. How about death? I want to suggest this to you. Now, I'm 55. For some of you, that's ancient. For some of you, that's just, just right. But the older you get, the more you think about it. The more funerals you go to. I was with my dad not too long ago. One of his friends died, and actually it was my baseball coach. I went down and, 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 and did the funeral, and he didn't show up. And I said, why didn't you come? And he said, all my friends are dying, and I don't like the thought of it. Do you know death can even be a door for you to depend on God in a greater measure? Amen. I've asked myself, God, why do Christians die? Because most of us, listen, most of the time death is not a pleasant experience. Rarely do people just put their feet in their bed and say, bye, everybody, I'm gone. Usually, if it's a process, at some point in time, family's there, friends are there, kids are begging you, Daddy, don't leave, I need you, I don't know how I'm going to make it without you. Come on, the spouse is there. I mean, I mean, usually it's not a pleasant deal. But could it be that that last great reminder that God is saying, you can't live without me? I don't care how much, I don't care if you have the finest doctor in the world. I don't care if you've got all the right genetics on your side. I don't care if you've got Affleck insurance to help you make your bills. I don't, you know, I don't care. 
I don't care what you've got. I don't care how many supplements you take. I don't care if you're buying from the right supplement company. At some point, you're not going to make it any farther, and nobody can do a thing about you but God. And it could be that even death itself, come on, is something good from God to show us how much we need Him for. Now, I realize the Bible says death is an enemy, and it is because we were created to live. But my friend, it could be the means for God telling you heaven is real and hell is real and death has all the pain about it because it's only a precursor to what's going to happen in eternal judgment and you need me because in me you can live. Come on, and move and have your being. In me you can live after you die. Come on, in me you can live eternally. See, sooner we learn that, way better off we'll be. Here's another scripture. Uh, Isaiah chapter 2, here's the second lesson. Pride makes us feel like we don't need God, and that's a bad thing. Pride makes us feel like we don't need God. Isaiah 2.11, human pride will be brought down, and human arrogance, say it with me, will be humbled. You know what humility is? Humility is simply a recognition that everything I am and everything I have and everything I can do is because of God. Pride, on the other hand, thinks it's all about me. Now, how many know pride is pretty hard to define, but I can recognize it when I see it, unless I'm looking in the mirror. But when you've got it, I pick it up. Here's a guy, his name is Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 4. I think you'll see pride in him. And he's a Babylonian king. Now, he's not an ele like an elected official with hopefully some boundaries around him in our nation, but this guy is the ultimate monarch. If he doesn't like you, if you just look at him wrong, your head's off. So he is Mr. Everything on top of the, of the pile. Verse 28, King Nebuchadnezzar said, Listen, or look at the great city of Babylon. By, by my own power, mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as... Do you see your house as God's gift to you or is it yours? Do you see your food as daily bread from God, come on, or that you just went by the grocery and picked it up. My royal residence to display. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, you're no longer ruler of this kingdom. Think of the arrogance of this man. Listen, breathing air that he can't even see with lungs that he doesn't even control. Isn't it amazing how just because scientists can explain to us the oxygen, the O2 molecules that we need, we can't produce them? Listen, you can't produce them and you can't live without them. But all this, whatever it is, six billion people on the planet are all, come on, partaking of oxygen and it's making us live. In Him we live and move and have my being and Nebuchadnezzar is living like he doesn't need anybody. And he did it all. God said in a moment, verse 32, you're going to be driven from human society, you're going to live in the fields with the wild animals, and you'll eat grass like a cow. He went crazy. But notice this next huge word. What's it say? It says, put it on the screen, you'll be driven from the human race. Keep going. Until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world, and He gives them to anyone He chooses. So what he's saying is, God has the ability to pull the rug out from under your feet to get your attention, not because he hates you, but because he wants to get you on track with him. Amen. We're going to talk about discipline next week. When God disciplines us, I think you'll get a lot out of it. The Bible says, <laughs> really, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey. Isn't it good when God helps you get back on the narrow path? 
See, we live in this world today. How many know success can breed self-sufficiency and pride? Now listen, thank God for a person that tries to be self-sufficient. Our world teaches us to live with my hand out. Come on, take care of yourself. Don't get too quiet on me now. Be responsible. You know, we need a little more John Wayne in us pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Too many victims in America today. But self-sufficiency can make you think that you can take care of yourself. You got the degree on the wall and you got the paycheck to prove it. Therefore, it's going to be okay. Can I tell you, it'll never be okay ultimately until God is the one that's behind it and taking care of us. God has the ability to use a crisis to humble us and make us depend on Him. That's a good thing. Oh, I'm preaching better than most of you are amening this morning. Matthew 5, verse 3. I'm going to close with this. Dependence on God is the key to happiness in life. I want you to think about this a moment. That's a big statement. You say, well, I'm happy. I got the new, whatever it is, 99-inch uh, HD TV. I got Dish and Direct. I got Blu-ray and whatever else. That I got it all, preacher. Okay. Matthew 5, 3. The greatest sermon in the world, the Sermon on the Mount. And how many know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus, basically, this is, 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 is across the world recognized as the greatest message the human race has ever seen, received. And I want you to listen to the first thing that he said. Jesus said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what in the world does poor in spirit mean? I have to look it up too. Here's what it means. It's those who realize their need for God and depend on God for everything. The secret to happiness in life, the first thing Jesus said in this greatest sermon ever preached was to be poor in spirit, is to recognize your need for God and depend totally on me. That's the perspective of life that we're looking to obtain. And sometimes it takes a crisis to bring us to that place. We're all unconsciously searching for independence, security, and certainty. You know, believe me, why do you have so much insurance? We're searching for it when God's trying to tell us what you need is dependence. Now, I'm not saying don't take care of yourself, but what I'm saying, the way you really take care of yourself is depend on God. That when you get in your car, that you say, thanks, Lord, for giving me this car. That when you eat that food, you say, thank you, Jesus, for putting food on my table. Listen, you don't pray over your meal because the USDA is not doing a good job. You pray over your food to recognize where it comes from. And it's in Him we live and move and have our being. And Paul the Apostle said, when life got so bad that I didn't think I could make it, I learned to depend less on myself and more on God. And that was a good thing. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning.